Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast from Morningstar. Attendees, leaders, and experts joined online and in person for the Morningstar Investment Conference last week. This year's annual conference included insights from our CEO, Kunal Kapoor, about how one-size-fits-all portfolios are coming to an end. Some of the top fund managers in the industry also shared their perspectives and investment philosophies. Catch up on the discussions and more in this week's podcast. To access all the sessions from the 2021 Morningstar Investment Conference, search Morningstar Investment Conference 2021 and use code InvestorMIC2021 to save $150 off registration. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's awesome to welcome you uh, to our conference. Uh, This year, when I was uh, dropping my daughter off to her first day at school, uh, she said to me that she had uh, butterflies in her stomach. And I told her this morning that I, too, had butterflies in my stomach, because when was the last time um, I stood up in front of so many people um, to do a presentation? I, I too, have gotten used to speaking into a camera um, without anyone in front of me. So this is a relearning experience, but I'm so glad you're all here. Uh, We have about 2,000-plus people uh, joining this conference, 700 of you uh, here in person, about 1,400 digitally, and uh, maybe it's just a small step back towards normalcy. So thank you, uh, whether you're here in person or uh, whether you're joining us digitally. It's just great to be sharing uh, this time with you. I also hope, obviously, that you and your families have come through this really tough period safely and are healthy. What a ride it's been, right? Um, uh, Amazing when you sort of step back and take stock of it. And all I'd say is that the past 19 months have really shown the best side of financial advice from my perspective. Uh, People talk about the fact that creativity loves constraints. Research has shown, in fact, that when you put constraints in front of people, it provides focus and motivates them to generate new ideas. And I think our profession has done that. Relationships have been tested. Uh, You've had to find new ways to interact with your clients. And yet, if you look at the data, retention rates are as high as they've been. The value of your advice is shining through brightly. And so at a time when the pandemic wasn't just threatening people's health, but threatening, in many cases, their financial security, it's just really impressive how you all found new ways to first of all care, with your cli- care for your clients and then connect with your clients. And so congratulations, congratulations on that. And whether you're here or joining us uh, digitally, I just want to say thank you and congratulations for making it through. Thank you for innovating, learning, and growing with us. Um, and thank you for bringing investors your best. We're, we're really p- proud to empower investors in a post-pandemic age. And we're going to use this conference to certainly reflect on the past, but also really start to chart a path of, to the future. Uh, we hope the lineup for the conference, as always, is going to motivate you. I, I was looking at it just last week and thinking, wow, we've got a fantastic lineup this afternoon. Uh, my friend and colleague, Daniel Needham, is going to interview both Kathy Wood and Rob Arnott to talk about two sides of the valuation argument. And really, we're in a unique space, and I think Kathy and Rob are both fantastic. And you'll see Daniel has some very strong views as well. Uh, Tomorrow, 
economist Megan Green will talk about the impact of inequality on our economy. Uh, let's face it, this is a topic that maybe we were all aware of, but wasn't front and center in the way it's become uh, front and center. And so I think you're going to enjoy that. And then Friday, we're going to host a conversation between uh, Morningstar, um, Morningstar's own and the Sustainalytics founder, Michael Jancy, and Jennifer Grancio, who is the CEO of the headline-making hedge fund, Engine Number 1, which you may have heard of. Uh, because of their successful move to place um, directors on the Exxon board. And so Jennifer is going to be here talking about that. And then you're going to hear from all uh, my equity and credit research uh, colleagues, our manager research team on longer-term investing in these strange times and all the fantastic things that they're thinking about. And you'll hear from advisors like yourself who are trying to think about the profession through a new lens. And we've got sessions that I am excited to see, and so hopefully you are, uh, sessions around China. I know it's top of mind in many ways, not just from a geopolitical perspective, but these days from an investment perspective. Your clients are more exposed to China than ever before, and yet the landscape seems to have shifted in a second. Cryptocurrency, inflation, future of energy, we've got a great agenda. I'm super excited and so glad that you could be here. Now, as part of the conference, you're also going to hear a bit from this year's winners of the Morningstar Awards for Investing Excellence. The winners, as you may be aware, are Fidelity's Joel Tillinghast for Outstanding Portfolio Manager. Uh, Joel's been around a very long time and has made a lot of money for a lot of people. He just does things the right way. Uh, and speaking of doing things the right way, Dodging Cox this year wins for Exemplary Stewardship. I remember in my days as an analyst talking to them and just being blown away even back then, just about the way they thought about taking care of their clients, and they have never wavered from that. And finally, Pimco Sonali Peer for Rising Talent. I have to admit that Pimco um, does a really great job at just unearthing great new talent and developing their people, and I think Sonali is a great example of that. So congratulations to our winners, and you'll hear from them uh, very soon. Now on to uh, a few other things. As, as I was reflecting on the past year, it struck me that there are more pathways to attracting and interesting people in investing today than ever before. And this is a really important topic for all of you as advisors. First of all, you're well aware that many of the barriers that have existed for people to become investors have melted away. Fees have gone to zero in many instances. People are investing with fractional shares. Private markets, which were really the purview of the super wealthy and institutional investors, are starting to become accessible to your clients. Impact-focused investing is a central theme today, and you have access to all kinds of data and insights. And then, of course, there are the dog memes that are selling for millions. So wherever your clients are on this investing spectrum, You've got to meet them there. Uh, you know, I think of my son, and I look at his portfolio, and he told me I'm going to buy Snap and Chipotle, and I'm going to be happy. And I looked at him and said, you're nuts. Well, look who's laughing now. Point here is these new pathways and new choices have come down to this. The face of the investor is changing. It's, it's changed. And it's bringing you the chance 
to serve a broader group of clients than ever before. I can't tell you how many times I've been to a conference with advisors, hands have gone up, and people have said, how do we reach beyond our traditional base of customers? Well, you have as good a chance as ever, and we're going to focus on that in this conference. More US households are participating in the markets. And in fact, if you just look at what's happened to Google search queries around words like learning to invest, what is investing, and how to start investing, they're up more than 50% since January 2020. On our own Morningstar.com, we've seen a nearly 50% uptick among 18 to 24-year-old visitors in the past 12 months alone, and an 18% increase in the number of women investors who are coming to Morningstar.com. That's a new opportunity for you to serve investors who we collectively, let's face it, have not reached out to meaningfully before. And there are differences between investors. Investors 35 and over are telling us that they care about things like packaged investments. They want dividends, so they like things like Vanguard Dividend Growth and ExxonMobil when they're on Morningstar.com. Yet something like ExxonMobil doesn't even crack the top 10 most visited pages on Morningstar.com for younger investors. Now, I don't have to ask you to guess what younger investors are looking at on Morningstar.com. Yes, they are looking at GameStop. It's among the top 10 most visited pages. But what I will tell you is the fact that they've become investors is really important. Millennials have arrived, and they're growing their dollars, and that is the opportunity for you. Meanwhile, many of the clients you serve are drawing down assets, or they're thinking about transitioning their assets to others in their family. Gen X and Gen Y now represent one-third of our country's wealth, and the millennial share is also ticking up every quarter. They're also going to inherit the wealth that many of you have helped your clients build today. So I want to talk to you about three ways that you can engage this wider pool of investors, these modern investors, and connect their portfolios to them like never before. Three ways. The first thing I'm going to talk about is Morningstar's risk ecosystem. And we think in it, we've created new opportunities to develop a clear line of sight from your client's personal situation to the assets in their account. Second. I want to encourage you to seek a conversation that unwraps the pervasive ESG jargon and replaces it with something meaningful and personal. And the last topic that I'm going to spend some time on is how security selection can be as unique to your clients as they are, and for the first time, at scale. So let me start on the first point. Investors of all ages, we know this, want a clear line of sight from their own situations to the preferences that they place in the assets in their accounts. And so earning their loyalty means demonstrating that you are putting each investor at the center of investing, truly knowing your client and showing how you've tailored their portfolio creates a stickiness that you just can't beat. So let's talk about that line of sight and how we bring it to life through the lens of risk. I know some of you must be wondering, who wants to talk about risk in the middle of one of the greatest bull markets? Well, Morningstar does. 
the market right at the onset of the pandemic, in fact, really surfaced the need for a reliable understanding of an investor's risk tolerance, and especially one that doesn't change as the market moves. The reality is every time there's volatility, you start to get a fuzzier picture of what your clients really desire and how they're likely to re react. In March 2020, they were all lightening their equity allocations. The data shows that. And yet, you probably wanted them to stick it out. And many missed out on the early days of the strong rebound, at least. Meanwhile, the millions of investor questionnaires that have been taken in our risk profiler over two decades show that actually investors' appetite for risk, for better return, is actually relatively stable over time, despite these market swings. So our risk ecosystem, which launched this year in our advisor software, and which is previewing here right behind me on the screen, draws a straight line between individual investors and their investments. It means the industry can move beyond the bulk banding of investors towards truly personalized comfort bands. If you look at our risk profiling, it uses simple illustrations to match a portfolio risk score, as we call it, which measures a portfolio model's level of risk compared to one of our target allocation indexes with an investor's specific risk comfort range. It means the days of suitability check are long gone, and instead Morningstar is helping you with the new data that reflects the human side of advice and helping you prepare for things like regulation best interest in a very tangible fashion. You can hear more about our risk ecosystem from my colleagues Paul Kaplan and Sarah Newcomb at that theater presentation at 10 a.m. tomorrow, or stop by the Morningstar booth and take a look at what, how we've brought it to life within our advisor workstation. Now onto the second topic that I highlighted, which is how the investor landscape is changing because of the fact that we can't ignore environmental, social, and governance considerations anymore. You've seen the headlines. We've got exploding fund flows, multiply, multiplying fund choices, a shift towards stakeholder capital, capitalism. So investing with a sustainability lens is foundational today to how a growing number of your clients are going to want to invest. And so I'm going to make it central to this conversation and this conference. Over the past 10 years, we've seen ESG intentional ETFs increased sixfold. Now that's a big headline, but if I was to show you the active ESG funds, they're growing even faster. Meanwhile, there's a vibrant market of green bonds and sustainability-linked loans emerging, and ESG ratings, including our very own, are maturing as we are able to use even more data to power them. If you look in the media, and this is where your clients are getting their information, the number of ESG stories today is six and a half times greater than it was in 2018. And the term ESG was used across social media over two and a half million times already this year, three times the volume of 2018. But the one that really gets me, and I think will resonate with you, is that many of you, when your clients walk in to talk to you, are probably asking about their 401k as part of your bigger plan. Today, ESG is searched for on the web two and a half times more frequently than the term 401k is. Absorb that and think about how important it is that you are able to speak that language now. Of course, there are lots of icebergs, windmills, 
and green landscapes. And sometimes there's not a lot behind it helping investors. And when we ask them about it, 77% of investors say they don't really understand it. But when we start to explain it to them, when an advisor starts to take away the industry jargon, almost 90% of them say they want to engage more. And that's where we think we can help, because your great advice is the remedy to all the noise that investors hear every time. So when you talk to clients, we'd encourage you to seek a conversation that goes beyond ESG. Dive deeper into the valuable data and material risks sustainability is now bringing to long-term investing. As a fiduciary, you'll find ESG offers incredibly interesting insights. And for an advisor who's trying to look after multi-generational wealth, you can personalize a portfolio closer and better than ever before to your clients. So investors fundamentally may not care about the term ESG, but our research is showing that they care about their financial goals, they care about risk, and they care about whether air pollution is giving their kids asthma. They care that that retirement home that they were going to buy is suddenly in a flood zone where home insurers are curtailing coverage. And they care that when they're walking into the grocery aisles amid heat waves and droughts, they're not finding what they need. So invest, but investors are confused because they're also being told that investing success and personalized impact are two separate things. But they are, in fact, not binary. It's not a zero-sum game anymore. And this is where we think the agent of resolution is something that we at Morningstar are introducing called the new sustainability. The new sustainability, we think, is the new face of long-term investing, long-term value creation. And it shows us that investors can, in fact, have their cake and eat it too because investors are choosing investing success and personalized impact at the same time. In a recent experiment by our behavioral research team, investors actually allocated more money to a hypothetical fund with high diversity scores, and they started to penalize funds that in fact didn't report ESG information. Now I realize that new investing frontiers are difficult to navigate. They just don't show up with the maps, right? But that's why you come in, and that's where we can help you. We're helping people navigate new ways to in, in, invest in this area. And the new sustainability can take many routes, but we think they span a spectrum of six approaches that we're using based on the data that we, we now have thanks to our acquisition of Sustainalytics. You see these six behind me, and as, as, as some are more focused on avoiding negative outcomes, Others are more focused on advancing positive outcomes. They're not mutually exclusive, for sure, and investors often combine several or all of them to varying degrees. And so rather than getting into all six today, I'm going to focus on three that resonate with me in particular. So applying exclusions is probably one you already know well, and I'm going to go past it and instead focus on limiting ESG risk. This is simply about avoiding investments with a high degree of what we call material ESG risk. Sustainalytics ESG rating is the primary enabler of this approach, and it measures a company's exposure to industry-specific material ESG risks and how good a job a firm is doing in managing those risks. So let me give you an example. Let's take the firm Beyond Meat. 
if I say that to anybody, the assumption is they're probably doing great on all these measures. Because after all, they're addressing concerns about environmental impacts for, and, and other things. But if you dig in, our research actually points to concerns around environmental impacts of Beyond Meat's packaging and their farming practices. More broadly, their lack of disclosure actually makes it impossible to, uh, to assess their carbon emissions or the strength of their supply chain policies. So maybe the firm is, in fact, doing some good things. But without all that data and looking into it, it's not quite as clear. And so we actually rate the company with a rating of a severe ESG risk rating today. I imagine most of your clients would not have guessed that. The Morningstar Sustainability Rating then takes all those ratings, rolls them up to the company level, and presents a strategy level rating. Today, we've rated more than 50,000 of those funds, and one-third have a sustainability rating with four or five globes. So things are headed in the right direction. But as we get more data, we'll be able to deepen the, the, the information we get to you. And next month, we're going to add 20,000 more funds with this rating. As the country risk rating gets added to our methodology, it, it will immediately provide ratings on many fixed income, allocation, and alternative funds as well. Number two on this list is seeking ESG opportunity. And I have to say this is my personal favorite because it's the polar opposite of an avoidance strategy. Some people call this positive screening, and it emphasizes companies that are positioned well, to, that are positioned well in a more sustainable economy rather than simply focusing on tossing out those who will fare poorly. There's a number of funds who already follow strategies like this, Brown Advisory, Sustainable Growth, Parnassus, Core Equity, come to mind. Or you can simply screen for funds within the Morningstar Low Carbon designation in our software, and you'll find that there's more than 10% of all open-end ETFs, sorry, open-end funds and ETFs in our global database that have that designation. The last one that I'll highlight is the least mature, but I think the most promising, and it's assessing impact. This is really what your clients are asking you. If I do X, what is its direct result? So this might mean, for example, that in the fixed income world, considering what activities of bonds proceeds will actually finance and what the impact of that will be, and measuring it. We're working hard on routing our 2022 investments in Sustainalytics around creating a whole new data set around impact investing. And next year, when I stand in front of you, I hope to be able to talk to you directly about the fact that when you sit with a client, you'll be able to actually show them the impact of the moves that they are making on their portfolios, and that they can offer both investing success and personal impact by working with you. So the message here is pick what works for your client and your client's family. Embrace these six modern investing methods that are in our research, that are in our software, and find the opportunities to engage with these investors. And finally, let me touch on the point of customization, my third point. You all know that the mainstream maturation of sustainable investing and the preponderance of new technology is driving a new innovation that we're all hearing about and focused on. Direct indexing, or even personalized indexing, depending on what you want to call it. I like to joke that it's the Starbucks treatment for investors. And I think that it's the purest demonstration of the potential to put investors at the center of the investing universe. 
In fact, Cerulli Associates is projecting that in the next decade, 10% of all advisor-managed assets, so that's more than $5 trillion, will be in these types of strategies, outpacing even the growth of ETFs. So you must be wondering, how does direct indexing benefit investors? First is the obvious bit about customizing diversification. You could have a client in a well-balanced index fund, let's say one built on a Morningstar index, and perhaps it's our moat indexes, which also include our research. Direct indexing removes the handcuffs to customize that, because that portfolio today, for instance, might have a position in Intel, where your client already works. And so when she sits down with you, maybe you don't want to have Intel both as a holding and in that portfolio. Well, if you look at our research, you can very quickly pull the button and replace it with AMD. Or you could simply say you don't want any more exposure to that particular company or its competitors or that sector and very quickly pull the button on that as well. And you can start to do this at scale. And then there's taxes. We've been on an upward run in the market for two decades now. And many people are sitting on big gains in their equity investments. So the market volatility during the pandemic obviously created a window that some of you took advantage of. But the reality is to get tax alpha, you need automa automated software that's actively looking to harvest losses and put them into other names in a convenient, easy manner. And direct indexing will start to allow you to do that. Today's ad technological advances and the drop in trade commissions means that all the extra knobs and dials and costs associated with them have basically disappeared. And so this makes direct indexing all the more appealing. So we're bringing together all our capabilities across Morningstar to bring this to life. Our indexes are gonna serve as a starting point for conversations with your clients, and you can have a broad one, a sustainable one, a research-focused one, you name it, you can create it. Then you can layer in the customization that you want. Maybe it's our ESG data that you want to use, or maybe it's some other screening that you want to do through our optimization software and advisor workstation or Morningstar office. And then finally, our investment management group is using managed accounts to actually bring all of this to life. Many of you are already using it for a number of things, and we hope to roll out this service in 2022. Join my colleague Cindy Galliano, Bob Olson, and Pete Dietrich in their session tomorrow at 3 p.m. Central uh, to hear about how we're going to bring this to life in 2022. I'm excited about it because the era of one-size-fits-all portfolios is coming to an end, just like the idea of a one-size-fits-all interaction with a client is likely going to come to an end. You can really customize your relationships, and our focus is going to be to partner with you in building portfolios with diverse objectives in mind that really meet your client's individual needs. I've said it to you in the past, and I'm going to say it to you again. When investors win, we all win. And I think we're at an inflection point where the tools and the technology and the data can enable investor success in a way that we simply have not seen up to this point. And they do it in a way where you don't have to give up the efficiency of running your practice and engaging with your clients. So there's a lot of exciting stuff coming your way and a lot to get through in this conference. Morningstar recognizes the standouts in investment management every year with our awards for investing excellence. Our manager research team nominates candidates in three categories, 
vigorously debates the merits of the nomination, and then votes on the final awards. The winners demonstrate excellent investment skill, the courage to differ from the consensus, and an alignment of their interests with those of investors. This year, our winners are Dodge and Cox for exemplary stewardship, Joel Tillinghast of Fidelity for outstanding portfolio manager, and Sonali Pierre from PIMCO for rising talent. Congratulations. We had the chance to catch up with the winners and talk about their careers and their lessons from the past year. We filmed it so you can catch up with them too. The start of my career when the pink sheets were literally pink sheets. They were pink lists of bids and offers on very illiquid stocks. A couple of times I had to call the company after an earnings release and request that they read me the line items in their earnings press release you know, because there was incremental value in those details and everybody else wouldn't get them for another two or three days. Just the sheer uh, volume of data and the speed and accessibility of data that has led to um, uh, short-termism. And I think it's really been important to keep our eye on the long-term, keep our eye on where we see value over the coming three to five years um, and, and uh, take in that data, but also uh, keep a long-term mindset. From a data perspective, we have an increased amount of transparency as well as data that we can analyze. Secondly, from the electronification on the trading side, um, the ability to put a larger amount of capital to work more quickly. Um, however, there's also areas where technology hasn't shifted the, the fundamentals, which it means we still need to be doing the credit research down to the individual security level. We still need to be uh, meeting with issuers and understanding their needs such that maybe we can look to extract new issue premium through reverse inquiry and continue to source the best ideas for our clients. When I started in the business, there was a giant book of savings and loans that was probably 700 pages put out by SNL Securities. And I would flip through this is sort of a shopping um, for, wow, there's a financially good-looking savings and loan. Um, now you can have a computer screen that tells you who are the most consistently profitable savings and loans in a minute. Um, so it revolutionized that. One really important thing is is having active open-mindedness, taking in new information, new valuations, and just retesting yourself. I think related to that would be continuous learning. Um, I think reading broadly, being an active listener, thinking in probabilistic ranges, asking yourself questions like, where can I be wrong? Where can I know more? Um, where am I maybe missing opportunities? Maybe I'm being too pessimistic. Um, and then I would point out that I think uh, it's important to think about um, being solutions mindset. So many times when you're earlier in your career, you, you're often able to see issues um, and maybe ways things are done or way data, data comes in. And you can be part of the solution as well. So both identify the issues and be part of the solution.
um, I think leaning in and being willing to advocate ideas is, is so crucial. Um, and I think your managers will appreciate it. The younger me you know, should have appreciated that you know, it takes time to accomplish results. It helps to think about what you believe. It helps to understand, am I comparing price to value? Am I trying to um, go for the best three to five year earnings growth? Am I trying to invest in companies that are improving now? The younger me didn't think enough about what I was trying to do and just did it. I think our key competitive advantage is our tremendous focus uh, with investing with one overarching investment philosophy. Having integrated teams across equity, fixed income, macro, and, and quantitative um, input are very crucial to helping us make long-term decisions um, and build conviction. Um, I would say our independence um, allowing us, uh, so we're independently owned, uh, by active employees only. And we think that that allows us to stay very focused on clients, stay very aligned with them, and also attract and retain top, top talent. Our platform is large and integrated, meaning we are able to scan the globe for the best risk-adjusted ideas, whether that's integrating a number of products, a number of geographies. And as a result, our research is also set up to take advantage of both the full capital structure, as well as the full quality spectrum, meaning our analysts are um, industry specialists as opposed to uh, product specialists. The biggest learning of the pandemic is I'm an idiot. I know nothing. Anything can happen in this world because nobody that I know, except for Bill Gates, predicted that we would have a pandemic you know, of the scale of what we had. Of the people who did predict it, nobody predicted that the US government and many other governments were going to drop trillions of dollars of money printing and government spending on the economy and that we would blast off to new speculative highs um, shortly after the pandemic. We still did things as teams throughout the period. We were just using virtual tools. We still think we're better off together. Um, and I think the future is really some sort of hybrid structure where some days in the office, some days working remotely. Um, there's also the benefit of having alone time and, and being able to think deeply and, and research and read and build models. So there, there's a benefit of a hybrid approach. And I would say, yes, that is a change from our thinking prior to the, to the crisis. Investors had to consider a new market participant, the Fed. The Fed had not previously stepped into corporate credit markets and was now a essentially a backstop. Additionally, with COVID, we learned that it was so important to be creative, to reach out to those issuers that needed an abundant amount of capital and help them with the structure and with covenants such that our clients could take advantage of the reopening on the upside, but also have downside protection as well. The recurring challenge, and well, it's not over, is what do you do when you're style is not in style how do you tell whether you're 
doing the right thing when the current feedback is telling you you're doing the wrong thing. Long-term periods of underperformance of value versus growth, like we just experienced uh, post the great financial crisis. Um, and, and during these periods, we try to keep leaning into value, re-underwrite our, 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 our holdings, um, and try to maintain um, our conviction. So bringing in new information, but also being open um, and uh, re-underwriting uh, and thinking about a range, probabilistic ranges of returns. So uh, really, really doubling down on our investment approach during these, these prolonged periods. So I'd say that is one challenge. Um, the other I would mention is there's the, the new economy, really, with the, the rise of uh, tech companies, uh, mega cap companies, um, many times also, you know, making a significant amount of R&D investments that have often, often um, as their expense, lead to losses early on. Uh, we need to uh, innovate and, and look at how we're determining value uh, for these types of companies. Um, and so we've made a lot of efforts in that in that area. That does it for this week's Investing Insights podcast from Morningstar. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.